we possibly say that Jesus is the way and be loving and compassionate? Isn't it arrogant to say that your Jesus is the only way? Yes, it is arrogant and unloving, unless it's true. If Jesus is the way to life with God, if he is the way, then there is nothing more loving than to say that. Today on the Song Time broadcast, we'll continue our study in the Gospel of John. In this message from Dr. Brian Chapel, we'll look at yet another I Am statement of Jesus as he claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, and what that means for the exclusivity of Jesus as the only means of salvation. But first, we're joined by Dr. Michael Glodo as we talk about how the ironic blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you, is still applicable to the New Testament church. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. One of the things that I have found really important about us as, as New Testament Christians is to delve into the Old Testament, to understand not just how, how much the Old Testament lays the foundation for our faith as New Testament believers, but most importantly, how often the, the Old Testament is actually cited and referenced and is the New Testament is hinging on our understanding of the Old Testament. And so uh, I'm excited to be joined today by uh, Professor Michael Glodo, who is the author of a new book called The Lord Bless You and Keep You, The Promise of the Gospel and the Aaronic Blessing. I love how the, the Word of God is all connected. They are not two different uh, testaments speaking of two different gods, two different stories. They're all connected, and that's one of the things we like to emphasize on our program, and it's a real privilege to have him with us today. Mike, thank you for being a part of the many voices for that one message. Thanks, Adam. I'm, I'm uh, pleased to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Obviously, this is something that uh, you are a student of the Word of God. You are deep in the Word, and uh, this has come out of your own personal studies. So tell us a little bit about yourself and the impetus for this book. Yeah, it's always helpful to understand a book if you understand the the author, isn't it? I, uh, I was raised in a Christian family in the lower Midwest, uh, mainline church, but my parents were believers, and I had good Sunday school teachers who taught me the Bible. So, you know, I went off to a early career in business, but um, sensing a call to ministry, I ended up in seminary. And, um, and uh, I realized from that point on, really, that God was calling me to hold my Bible in my hand and try to help understand it and help other people understand it. So um, I early on gravitated toward the Old Testament because as you've said, you know, it's uh, it's amazing, it's striking to see Christ opened in the Old Testament. I, I have this very vivid experience of reading Luke 24 with understanding for the first time, you know, uh, their hearts were warmed uh, they, when they, they, they realized that, um, that uh, the Old Testament was about him after the road to Emmaus experience. And so, um, I think it was the same summer uh, in a singles Bible study that I somehow was teaching. Uh, I don't know why I chose to teach the book of Hebrews. And so I was sort of uh, disposed, if you will, toward Old Testament studies from that point. I did pastor and work in churches in the St. Louis area, but went on for further study and ended up in 1991 being invited to join the very new campus of Reformed Seminary here in Orlando. And uh, I've I've been here 
since 1991, with the exception of uh, a six-year hiatus helping uh, serve in a denominational role. Uh, but uh, so 20 years, I taught Old Testament, uh, principally the Pentateuch. Uh, for 10 of those 20, I taught New Testament. And so Bible has been my calling, my area of work. Um, in the last five or six years, I focused more on pastoral ministry, uh, pastoral theology. Uh, my poor preaching students, they have to deal with a preaching professor who's actually a, a biblical theologian. That's not fair, right? <laughs> uh, because that's not fair, right? Because they have to uh, be true to the text, too, as well as have good eye contact. So um, this book is a reflective of a lot of my trajectory, if you will, because I've never been as much of a specialist as an integrationist. I, I, I love the intersection. I think that's a place God has called me to, the intersection of disciplines. Uh, and so a lot of things came together with this book, uh, a biblical theology of the face of God, uh, worship in the church, even implications for prayer, and then just love of neighbor. That's uh, that's one place where this book ends up is if God's face shines on ours, then how does that change our relationship, not just to us, between us and God, but how does it change our relationship to other people? Now, I'm sure that there's people in our audience who are unfamiliar with the Aaronic blessing. And I think probably because it's fallen out of favor in a lot of the contemporary churches or even the non-liturgical churches, sort of like my background. It's not something we had as a regular part. But even within liturgical churches, they might hear it, but it may go in one ear and out the other. So what is the Aaronic blessing and and what is its place within the scriptures? Well, for your listeners, it's that... Uh, familiar uh, passage in Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And it's been famously set to song as well as uh, I suggest possibly the most frequently heard scripture passage in the history of Christian worship. Because if you're in a church where there is a benediction at the end of the service, uh, this is the one most frequently chosen. And while, you know, if we go to NBA games, we might see John 316 on a sign. You know, that might be our most familiar one. If, if, you, if you've been regularly attending uh, Protestant worship uh, uh, over your lifetime, you may well have heard this scripture text more times than any other text. Yeah. And this is specifically for uh, an Old Testament audience. What is its pertinence to the New Testament church? Well, it, it, in, the, in the ironic blessing, the, the consummate, blessing the greatest happiness offered is for god's face to shine on us and so that leaves open the question when you have the problem of israel and exile and and israel uh, uh, still bound up in sin and the need for a redeemer it 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 really asks the question how can god's face shine upon his people in favor unless there's some kind of divine solution to our sin problem. And so in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, at the end of 3 and the beginning of 4, we find one of the answers the New Testament gives, which is we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. That is, uh, God's face is not hidden from us, but rather his face is most fully 
um, manifested to us in the person and work of Christ, uh, the resurrected Christ at, at, at that point when Paul is writing. But you also see the same theme in John's gospel. No one has seen God, uh, who, but, but then Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so um, the promise of the ironic blessing to Israel in the Old Testament finds its fulfillment for us today in the face of Christ. Um, and we can talk about how we see the face of Christ, but but it's in the face of Christ. We've been talking with Michael Glodo. His book is called The Lord Bless You and Keep You, The Promise of the Gospel and the Ironic Blessing. You can find out more information about his book by giving us a call. It's 508-362-7070 or head over to our website at songtime.com. Well, today we're continuing our study in the Gospel of John, and as is really been the main thrust of this story of the Gospel of John are all of these I am statements of Jesus. We've seen Jesus declared to be the, the bread of life, the light of the world, the resurrection and the life, and even, of course, I am that I am. He is uh, the true God. Before Abraham was, I am. These I am statements all tie together to give us a presentation of who Jesus is in his own words. And this message today from Dr. Brian Chappell will explore Jesus' claim to be the way, the truth, and the life, and what that means when Jesus makes such an exclusive claim about himself, his deity, and his ministry. Here is Dr. Brian Chappell with a closer look at John chapter 14. What is the most offensive word in the Bible. Now, we could debate it, but making the short list is the word, the. I am the way, the truth, the life. Now, just think how much easier it would have been for Jesus and for you if he had simply said, A, I am a way. A truth, a way to life. I mean, it would have seemed so much more generous and merciful and friendly and hospitable and non-exclusive. And yet, Jesus says, the way. It's, It's not just that he would recognize the difficulty of that. We recognize the difficulty of the words. According to, you know, kind of research around us, If you look at those 16 to 30, the most common understanding of those who call themselves Christians, according to George Barna, is this. We are judgmental, political, intolerant, out of touch, and homophobic. I mean, we could at least erase a couple of those labels if we just took out the word the and put in the word a. Not so intolerant. Not so out of touch, not so exclusive, if we would just say that Jesus is one of the ways instead of the way. And my guess is that you don't need a survey to tell you that. But interactions with friends and coworkers and family and your own conscience makes you recognize how difficult it is to actually stand for the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. And and I I think of my own family. I, I think of a very dear family member who in his military experience um, had a crisis of faith by being in Southeast Asia and and looking at, at the millions of people and simply could 
not fathom that God would be so inhospitable as to say that they did not have a way to him apart from Jesus Christ of whom they had never heard. How could we possibly say that Jesus is the way and be loving and compassionate? And when that family member, I can remember, though it's been decades, I can remember like it was yesterday, him saying to me, isn't it arrogant and unloving to say that your Jesus is the only way? And, and in my panic of the moment, I can remember the only thing that I could say was, yes, it is arrogant and unloving, unless it's true. If Jesus is the way to life with God, if he is the way, then there is nothing more loving than to say that. If the room is on fire and there are are multiple exits, but you know there is a way to life and safety, there, there is nothing loving about saying they'll all work. If you know that There is a path to safety. The most loving thing you can do is to say, there's the way. But all of that logic hints on one critical truth. Is Jesus really the way? And if so, what's the basis of saying that? Well, the basis is what Jesus himself says here. I mean, you recognize if people are going to say that that it's unloving to say that Jesus is the way. They're not really arguing with you. They're not really arguing with me. They're arguing with Jesus because he makes certain unique claims in this text and throughout the New Testament about himself. The most obvious is just the one that we love so much in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And, and it's just the language, my Father's house. What is Jesus claiming? He is claiming that God is his father. And already we know from the book of John, the repeated truth that John makes, and the Jews were so upset with Jesus about was, if you claim that God is your father, you are making yourself equal to God. You are giving yourself divine status. And for them that was blasphemy, unless, of course, it were true. (laughs) And Jesus is saying over and over again, it's true, and, and that is a unique claim among the faith figures of the world. I know we will sometimes say, well, well isn't it true, you know, that, that, that lots of major religions of the world claim that their leader is divine? And the answer is no, that is not true. I mean, we've done this in previous weeks. If, if you're Muslim, if you're Hindu, if you're Buddhist, if you're Jewish, you, you may claim that your leader was a great prophet. You may even claim that Jesus was great. But it is not typical of the world religions that they claim that their originators are actually divine. One of the key distinctions of Christianity is that Jesus is saying, I am not merely a prophet pointing to a divine person. But rather, I am a divine person with a divine purpose. And that is a unique claim. Our culture today not only argues that uh, Christianity is bad for society, they actually argue that Christians have sort of lost the plot. You see, that they don't disregard Jesus as a historical figure. They just claim that Christians have 
misinterpreted Jesus, that we, those who have studied his word, have turned him into a, a sort of tyrant, and, and they don't like that. They, they want to accept Jesus in all of the good bits that Jesus is. He's so loving, he's so kind, he's accepting of everyone and approving of everyone, and that is uh, the culture that we're living in today. Gone are the days where they're persecuting Christians for proclaiming Christ, and now they're persecuting Christians claiming they've missed the point of Christ entirely. And that switch has been very calculated within our culture today because they can claim Christ while also denying what Jesus said about himself. But as we've been looking at the I am statements of Jesus throughout the Gospel of John, one thing is is really clear. You cannot deny what Jesus claimed, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, that there is no other way to the Father except through him. And this is such an important doctrine of the Christian faith that we have to understand that this is actually the reason the culture has been turning on Christianity, because it would be so much easier if we were just to say that that Jesus was just another way. He was just another moral teacher. And unfortunately, many claiming to be followers of Christ, claiming to be pastors and, and church leaders have taken that route in order to get closer and draw themselves closer to the, the terms that the world is drawing. They make those claims. They, they really do uh, bring the very level of who Christ is down to just a moral teacher. And that's in some cases, their churches are growing at a rapid rate. But we have to be very clear that the message that we're preaching is calling people to deny themselves, to take up the cross and follow Jesus. It is not a, a tickling of the ears. It is not telling people what they want to hear, but telling them what they need to hear, because that is true love. True love is telling people the truth, even though it may hurt us to say it. I hope that we've been been able to encourage you today. I know that uh, teaching this doctrine can be comforting, but it can also be scathing because it reminds us just how important it is to hold to the faith, hold to the truth of the gospel. If we've been able to encourage you, please support the work that we're doing here. There are a lot of ministries out there that are compromising on the gospel, and uh, they're getting a lot of funding, but we want to show that that we honor the, the main point of what Jesus actually said about himself, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. If you believe in that message, show it with your love and your support by writing to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com, or you can look us up on social media. Uh, But don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. We'll continue our study as we're looking at Jesus' claim to be the only way to the Father, but he's also preparing a place for us so that we can be with God in glory. And Jesus is saying, "There, there is an anchor for you. And it's my Father's house, and it's going to be secure, and, and I'm going to make it available to you. And, and it's a place of such security and intimacy that I'm going to make available because I'm divine, and I can do that. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you 
that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another.